Hi everyone, my name is Bianca and today I have the incredible privilege of introducing you to my two favorite people, uh, my mom and my dad, Peter and Karen Rasmussen. I think when Jan asked me to do this, I truly and honestly didn't really know what to say. I think I can talk about my parents for hours and hours and hours because they've taught me so many incredible life lessons. They are also just incredible, amazing people. Um, so really it was hard to narrow it down. <laughs> But I think I decided to choose kind of the two traits um, that they've taught me um, that they also just do so well. And that is kindness and courage. Truly and honestly, I think my mom and my dad are the kindest people I know. And I know I'm a bit biased, but really, um, they handle kindness with such grace. Um, the way they treat people, the way they care for people um, is something that is incredibly inspiring to me. But what's also amazing is they back up that kindness with amazing, amazing courage. And that's always been the most inspiring thing to me. Um, they're incredible leaders. They've taught me how to lead um, effectively. And that those are lessons I'll take with me for the rest of my life. And so I'm so glad that they get to chat to you today. So to my mom and my dad, I miss you. I love you so much. And to everyone else, I hope you enjoy their chat. They are just really amazing people. Again, biased, but it's true. Anyway, love you all. Love you, mom and dad. Um, and I'll see you soon. Hi, everyone. Wonderful. You can't lie to the kids. So please come up. Let's give them a massive round of applause. Corin, come and say hi. And oh gosh, straight off to my daughter in Cape Town speaking. That's not very kind. <laughs> Thank you, Jan, for that. Um, this is really a joy for us to be here. I must admit, Stan and Heather, Rory and Mel, all the beautiful generations that have gone before in leading this church have been so close to our heart. And so this is a real joy for us to be here. Thank you so much. We're praying for you. We're praying for your future, your home, what God's got for you. And thank you for having us, guys. Just while Corinne is up here, I, I was praying for you this morning and, um, and just really felt the Lord highlight marriages. And uh, I, I, could every married person in this room stand? Would you mind? Uh, we had the privilege of celebrating our 36th wedding anniversary a couple of days ago and um, and before before my wife sits down if you're married uh, I wanted her to pray I, I, I think as Stan says this is this is not just about doing going through the rhythms it's about receiving something from the Lord and and I think that as God was highlighting that this morning I think God wants to bless every marriage in this room and I would love for her just to pray before we uh, go on with anything else. Would you mind, love? Yeah, um, yeah, we got married 36 years ago. And I remember saying and when we got married, Pete's already looking at me like, please don't preach, love. It's not a moment. <laughs> it's <all right. laughs> um, We looked into each other's eyes and said, with this ring, are they wed? And there have been many seasons in our lives that we, we joke with each other and say, with these dregs, are they wed? <laughs> Because between business and family and church and life and stuff happens. But the beauty of that is the unfair advantage we have. That when we feel weak, his strength is made perfect in us. So, yeah, I feel we had, um, yeah, Pete feels this to pray for marriages. So that's what I'm going to trust for today. And so as you hold hands, let's trust God for that. I thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for the incredible example you were in loving your church, a perfect picture of marriage, mm. to sacrifice for us that we might live, to love the imperfect perfectly. So I trust you, Father, that this would be represented in every marriage in this building. Yes. I trust you, Father, for a divine exchange this morning. Mm. As we breathe out all the stress and the anxiety and the exhaustion, I trust you, Lord, that we would breathe in fresh life, fresh grace, and Lord, that every marriage today, standing here, whatever state they stand in, that God, you would exchange weakness for strength. Just like that little boy who came with his little basket to you of loaves and fish, I trust you, Father, that as we hold hands 
and we lift our marriage to you, you would multiply what we have. Feed marriages in this building, God. Feed and multiply what they hold. Multiply their love, their grace, their kindness, their gifting. Multiply it, Lord, so that it would feed not just their home, but homes well beyond them. Trust you for that, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hmm. Really good to be here this morning. I've been uh, looking forward to, to this time. And as part of coming into the life of a local church, in fact, I'm, I'm uh, flying this afternoon to Europe. I haven't been in Europe for, for, for a while because of COVID. Good to be back with the churches there. Uh, so when Stan said, hey, can we make it happen? I said, yes, but I can't hang around long. I have, to, I have a plane to catch. Uh, but, but it's so delightful to be here. I've been anticipating being here with you and being in the life of this church for a little while. Part of that anticipation is hearing what the Holy Spirit may want to say. And, and so as over the, the, the past few weeks, the Holy Spirit's kind of just been dropping a few things into my heart for you as a community. And I thought before I really kick in with a, a couple of thoughts around what I feel is important for you now as a church, I thought I'd just share a couple of these thoughts with you from the Lord. I I felt the Lord clearly remind me to remind you that you are not a people of the four walls of the building. You are, you are, there's an inversion going on. There's something, there's a breaking out of the four walls. You're not tied to this space, this building, this place. You're a community that needs to invert out. This is the word of the Lord to you. What happens if a lion is captured and put in a cage? Well, it loses its aggressive roar. And I thought the Lord say clearly to me that you need to get your roar back. There's a roar coming out of this church. There's a, a, a roar of the lion of the tribe of Judah that needs to shout and roar to the city uh, at this time. It's like the Lord is, is, is putting a new voice in you, a new, a new courage in you. And uh, that's what this moment is all about. There are new ways emerging for God's church, and particularly for you as a church, of reaching inner cities. And, and, and I feel the Lord says he will multiply what he teaches you here into other cities of the world. He will multiply what he teaches you here in this city into other cities of the world. I, I, I don't know why the Lord put this into my heart, but particularly this morning he said, Mumbai. Uh, that there was something in this city that was also applicable to the city of Mumbai in India, that there was something he's breaking out of you that you're learning here that will speak to the city of Mumbai. I don't know who he's sending. Maybe a couple of you are going. Um, There is an enlarging of what God wants to do with you. There's an enlarging of the ideas and the thoughts and the creativity of this community that he wants to root into you to speak to the world in an ever greater way. 2 Corinthians 25, 9 says, And the man of God answered, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. I feel like it's a battle cry over you. The Lord is able to give you much more than this. Uh, He wants to give you more, Glenridge. He wants to expand you and give you more. And I think you can receive that as individuals. You can receive it as a church. He wants to expand you, grow you, give you more. If your business is limited to this, he wants to give you this. If the church is limited to this, he wants to give you more. And I think that applies to almost everything to do with this local church. Multiplication is the key to everything. Um, Just a comment about children and children's ministry. I, I feel that particularly for the kids and for the children's ministry of this church, Uh, that's one of the key tools that God wants to use in blessing your city. Children is a key thing God wants to use Glenridge Church for in blessing this city. There's something to do with children that he wants to release out into the city, whether it's caring for children, looking after children, building communities of children. There's something that he wants to release through you to do with children, to speak to the city. God will give you new strategies to reach young people on the university campuses, 
I know that you had an edge many, many years ago. This church was born out of the idea of reaching young people of the university campus. God will give you an edge back and reach multiple hundreds. I, I, I feel a weight of the Holy Spirit on me. I, I, I don't know. I don't often say that, but I, I, don't, I really don't. I, I, this is the first time you've met me preaching, so you don't know what I'm like. Not, not like this. <laughs> There's a weight of the Holy Spirit on me, that God is giving you an edge to reach young men and women of the university campus of this city. There is something he, an inheritance that was promised into your foundations, and he wants to reawaken and re-enliven that inheritance. There is an inheritance for you as a community in the universities of this city on the campuses. Most of your ministry and miracles will be outside of the church. I want to say that to you. Because I think so often we have this expectation that God would meet us here, and he does, when we are together, all together in one place. There's an anointing on our gathering, on being together, because God is present. But God is not present just because we arrived. He was present before we arrived. He is present after we leave. It's just the manifestation of his presence that's different. The idea is that the miracles that we need to see is not primarily for the church. We believe, don't you? I believe that God heals today in the 21st century. But I want to tell you, we need to see that on the streets of our city. We need to see that out. We need to see the gospel and the kingdom message doing its work on the streets of our city. And there is something that God wants to break out of you to do with miracles out in the marketplace. Marketplace leaders are not second rate here in this building, in this church. You say, well, I'm not a ministry person. Well, you are wrong. You have a call from heaven to preach the kingdom of God has come into your business, into your community, into the space that God has given you, and it is right where you are. This is a church that does not devalue marketplace people into second-rate citizens. You're a first-rate citizen here. First-rate call, and God is raising up new batch of Aquilas and Priscillas in this community to go to the nations of the world. The church planters that are coming out of Glenridge are not primarily church planters of ministry people, but church planters of, of, of Priscillas and Aquilas that God sends strategically to other parts of the world to do business, and they will plant churches. And you'll be part of that journey. Be part of that journey. I know God's spoken many of these things to you already. So what I'm telling you is just confirmation of what God has already said. Uh, and I haven't heard any of those things. So I'm coming kind of with first time in this church. So I hope that that speaks to you and encourages you as a community. I do believe we have an unprecedented opportunity as the church. I don't know about you, but, you know, COVID hits March Last year, I was in New York at the time, got locked down, got out on the very last flight to fly back to South Africa. And since then, we've gone through this turmoil the whole world has under pressure, financially, economically. And you know what? This thing is this. Every nation on the face of the earth at the same time. Now, you can say, that's terrible. It's an opportunity. More than ever before, the whole world is going through the same stuff at the same time. Surely that's a kingdom of God opportunity. Surely that's a divine conspiracy. Those of you that are into conspiracy theories. There is a divine conspiracy to reach thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of people with the gospel. Because the whole world's under pressure right now. And when the world is under pressure, the church is at a at her best. We're at her best. This church, this is your finest hour that we're in. Coming into our finest hour because reaching out to people, touching lives and reaching people at this time is easier than it ever has been before. You say, well, really, Pete, easier? Yes, people are under pressure. You don't need to hide the message of the gospel anymore. You don't need to sit at boardroom tables and say, I have a good idea. You can actually say, the Lord spoke to me. I heard something from Jesus this morning for this meeting. And you know the weird thing is, you don't have to hide it anymore. We're in that space. And 
the life of God can pulse out of the church into our city, into the highways and byways, everywhere, all the time. This is the message. There's a prophetic edge to, to what I want. I'm not a prophet. I, I, I think I, I don't know what I am. I'm something else. But, but, but there's a prophetic edge to this morning's message for you. Because, you know, I could pick up some silver bullet, and that's not what the Lord wanted me to do. He wanted to share with you some things that are close to his heart for you right now. That there's a moment for you as Glenridge Church. And today's message is about that moment. It's about that mission. It's about that call that he's called you to in this moment. And I've got a few thoughts over the next few minutes that I hope will really, really help you in this journey of seeing the kingdom of God come in your city. First thought I have for you, and, and I'm hoping the thoughts won't become disconnected thoughts because that's kind of how they came to me. So let me share the first thought I have for you. Everyone is invited. Everyone is invited to the table. I think we can't arrive at church and think, not those people. We can't do that. We can't think, no, no, look, we'll, we'll take everybody except, you know, LGBTQISTUV, whatever numbers there are on that. I don't know. It just keeps getting longer, that list. We, we don't, you know, we'll take everybody but not them. No, everybody needs to come under the preaching of God's word, needs to hear the truth of the gospel. Everyone is invited to the table. Everyone is invited. Before we talk mission to our city, we have to settle who's invited to the table. Luke 14, 21 says this, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel the people to come in, that my house may be filled. Compel the people to come in. The lame, the broken, the blind, the struggling, the battling, they belong at the table of the Lord. Everyone is invited to the table. Some of you may be a bit surprised by who arrives. I remember once I was preaching on a Sunday night service, and I'm standing preaching, and suddenly a woman walks right to the front and stands right in front of me, right there. And I'm thinking, where are the deacons? You know, where are the people that I'm meant to tackle her before she arrives here? I'm busy talking, you know. So I'm thinking, this doesn't work. And she says, she walks, she leans up and says, excuse me. I'm thinking, well, this is not protocol. So I leaned down, and I said, she says, please, can I have, I've got something to say. I don't know what possessed me to give her the microphone, but I did. I said, okay, you got something to say? So I gave her the mic, and she says, I'm a prostitute in the city of Durban. And she began to preach for about five minutes about the love of God having transformed her heart. As she stood there in front of the church, I didn't need to preach anymore. After that woman said her bit about experiencing the life of God. Because everyone is invited and is qualified at the table. You may be a bit surprised at who arrives. I was a bit surprised. And Lamott says this, you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. Think about that for a little while. You can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. See, this is what we do. We create a God of our own imagination. No, those people are no good, and those people are no good. But it's a God of our imagination because the God that loves the world and gave his son for the salvation of the world, that's not that God. That's the God of your imagination that says, no, those people don't belong, and those people don't belong, and those people can't come. They're still sinners. We don't, you know, we don't want to infect the people with viruses, sin viruses. It's crazy stuff. Open the doors. Let people come to the table of the Lord. There is no sexism. There's no racism. There's no ageism at this table of the Lord, at this table called Glenrich Church. 
There isn't. God has one central idea in sending his son. It is to qualify us for his table, not to disqualify us. The son did not come into the world to draw a dividing line necessarily between those. He says, I want to qualify everyone. That's what I want to do. Receive me so you're qualifying for my table. Receive the love that I have to give you. Get it in. Say yes. And you're qualified for my table. Isaiah 6, 6 says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. From God's throne, the Son of God comes and touches your mouth and says, Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. I don't care what kind of burden you're sitting with this morning, what kind of weight of your own sin and struggle you're sitting with. There is freedom at the table of Jesus Christ. That's our message. That's our message. That's Glenridge's message to the world. Sometimes I feel a little bit like, have you ever arrived into a party or a thing and you realize they left your name tag off at the table? It's like there's no seat find too many people are arriving at the party, but their name tag's missing. And so when it comes to sitting down at the table and sitting down and finding your seats, like the seat's missing. Many churches have become like that. The seat's missing. The name tag's missing. That's not Glenridge. That's not this church. Your heart, the heart of this church, is that the gospel comes to qualify The second thought, an important thought that I have for you this morning, is mission often feels like it's for someone else. I don't know whether you often feel like this, but I do. In fact, when you mention the word evangelism, it sends shivers down people's spines. Oh, jeez. Oh, I'm definitely not an evangelist. As if, you know, you're one of those people that accost complete strangers and tell them that if you die today, are you going to go to heaven or are you going to go to hell? I hate that question. I don't like confronting strangers. I don't even like greeting strangers. I'm an introvert. I like being on my own. I'm, you may be an extrovert and you do that well. I don't do that well at all. In fact, I make strangers feel rather uncomfortable. I'm from Northern Europe. You know, I shake hands. People want to hug. I go, okay, which way? And we end up hitting noses in the middle. You know, it's, it's a, in Europe, they go the one way, and here we go the other way. It's, it's, a, it's a problem, right? There we go. I'm straight in the carpet. There we go. Um, my early experience of evangelism with my dad leading a local church was that we had a small band of people, and I was a 12-year-old boy, 11, 12-year-old boy, and I'm standing behind this bunch of strange people on the walking street in Colding, Denmark. The one guy's out front there strumming away, and we're singing songs, and people are rushing by a little embarrassed for these strange bunch of people standing on the walking street preaching. And I remember feeling like a busker with a bad song. You know, like we... It just felt bad. And, and, and then a couple of guys come by, and they, they pull down their pants, and they moon us. You've got to remember, this is Denmark. This is Northern Europe. Uh, and, and, and I just I thought, oh, geez, surely this is not the message of the church. We're to confront complete strangers. We're to, you know, we're to be irritating and difficult. And, and I remember that guy on the walking street in Germany standing there saying, if you know, burn that turn or burn message, you know, preaching on the corner, some guy on the corner of the walking street in Germany, and, and I walked up to him, and he thought, ah, oh, I've got someone, and I said, look, I'm a pastor, I said to him, I really love your courage, I think it's wonderful, I just think your message is really getting lost here, because you have no bridge to talk to these people, at all, there's no bridge to communicate the gospel to them, they just think you're a weirdo, standing here. Now, if you're a gospel preacher on the street corner, God bless you. 
I just think sometimes maybe that's not the thing the Bible means when it's talking about us having the message of the kingdom and preaching the gospel. Because if it is, then it turns most of us off. And that's the problem with church. We sit and think, well, that's, you know, the, the mission thing, I mean, the thing, it's, it's not mine. It's not, that's not something I'm meant to do. But, but you're, you're wrong. It is something we're meant to do. Because we're meant to carry the gospel message to the world. You see, it's not only our gospel communication that will change the world. It's our gospel incarnation. The incarnated Christ that we have in us. That is to speak to the world. Irenaeus, this uh, disciple uh, of John. um, The glory of God is man fully alive. Fully alive. That when we are fully alive, when we are full of life, when we have the life of God in us, the song of God in our mouth, when the joy of the Lord is on our face, something happens to our incarnated message that Jesus is in us. We don't just have a message. We are a message to the world. People, I I said this the other night, people have to fall in love with you before they fall in love with Jesus. We often think, no, 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 no. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Just look at Jesus. I'm a fallible human being. But it's not what the Bible teaches. It says, look at me. Paul says, follow me as I follow after Jesus Christ. Look at at the life of God in me. When you see the life of God in me, you're going to fall in love with the life giver, Jesus Christ. That's the key to this message. Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world, Glenrich Church. You are the light of the world. 2 Corinthians 3, 3, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. A message has been written upon your heart for the world. And it's for the world to read. How are they going to read that message? They're going to read it in your handshake. They're going to read it in your smile. They're going to read it in your love. They're going to read it in your kindness. They're going to read it in our lives. The last thought I have for you, and I want to spend a little bit of time here, which is why I jumped over a couple of scriptures for the guys at the back. We all have to take responsibility for communicating this message. So here's a story. All the Israelites arrive at the land of promise. So if you could imagine the camera in the middle of this building, kind of a line there, and it's a bit of a yellow line tape thing going on through the middle there. If you can imagine that's the, the Jordan Valley right through the middle of this building. Then over here, you've got the desert, and you've got a big mountain range, and over here, you've got another mountain range, and on the other side of that mountain range, somewhere over there where that man with the beard and the hands on his head is sitting, is Jerusalem, over there, on the other side of the mountain range. So anyway, the people of God arrive over here to the, 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 the Jordan Valley, and as they look across the valley, what do they see first? Jericho, on the other side. They walk through the Jordan River, they come to Jericho, and they... March around it seven times, seventh time, make a noise, the walls come down, God gives them Jericho. So now they have Jericho. The next thing that happens is this. In Joshua chapter 19 and verse 40, it says, Joshua begins to hand out lots to the tribes, to the people of God. What are the tribes, the families? Uh, You know, tribes is an old word. So it's, it's family groups. Joshua begins to hand out responsibilities to the family groups that are all part of this bunch of people that arrive and have taken Jericho. The seventh lot came out for the tribe of the people of Dan, according to their clans. And the territory of its inheritance included Zorah, Eshtol, Eshemeth, Shabalin, Ithilon, Ithla, Elron, Timna, Ekron, Eleth, Gibelon, Belath, Jehud, Benibara, Gathrimon, Mejarkon, and Rakon, and the Terry O against Joppa. I did that, whoa, whoa. I did that quickly so you wouldn't see I made mistakes. <laughs> so, so here's the deal. People of God, the walls come down, they've come across the Jordan, so they're on the other side of the, of the valley. 
and they're not taken. So now they have a mountain range in front of them, and pretty much all the territory that they need to take is on the other side of this range in front of them. You know, so if you ever looked at a topographical map of Israel, there's a big mountain range kind of as a backbone going all the way down the back of Israel, and, and Jerusalem is kind of on the other side, on the, the valleys on the other side of, of this valley. So they're standing here. They have to get up over the mountains, down the other side. Well, this is what Dan does. They get over there to Jerusalem. They go down in front of you to Beth Shemesh, an area there. They get down there. They camp there. And in front of them, the Valley of Zorak, which is the same valley that you know, uh, Goliath met with the thing. And it's, it's the same valley going up to Jerusalem. They're all there. They camp there. And they're looking out to the coastal plain to, to these cities that I just read for you. They're all sitting there, grouped on the coastal plain. These are big cities, walled cities. Now remember, these people have been camping for 40 years. They've fallen quite a bit behind. You know, cell phones have come in the meantime. No. But stuff, the world changed in 40 years. And they are used to camping. And here, these guys have converted, you know, their iron. They built big fortified cities. They had a king. Every city that you see here mentioned for Dan had a king ruling over it. So they're all sitting over there, and this is what they decide to do. They said, okay, we, we, we're not going to take those cities. It's too difficult. We won't do it. They didn't try, but they made a decision that we're not going to do it. So they said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to send a raiding party up into the north of the country. So the lady's sitting in the, in the kind of bluish, whatever, teal shirt down the back there. On the other side of her is a little town called Leshem, way up in the north. Other side of the Lake of Galilee, other side of Nazareth, right up in the north up there is a little town called Leshem. They send the raiding party up there. They take Leshem over. It was easy. And they call the whole tribe of Dan, who are parked down here near Jerusalem, they call them all up to the north. They all leave there, and they all go up there. And they take over Leshem, and they rename it Dan after their ancestors. There it is, the last line. So they change, they change the name of this town up there. Now, here's the deal. An invading army comes to, to take on Jerusalem on the other side of two mountain ranges, one here and one over here, desert. Well, you don't want to take an entire army over two mountain ranges. That's not going to work. So what you do is you go up on the outside all the way up to the north, then you cut over the top, and then you come down the, 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 the Via Mares, which is the, the king's highway, which is on the coastal plain, down to Egypt. That's the trade route over there on the coastal plain. And if you want to attack Jerusalem, you come all the way around the north, down the Via Mares, up the valley of Zorag, and you attack Jerusalem. That's the deal. You understand that? That makes sense. Guess which town every invading army hit first. Dan. In fact, Dan was flattened so many times that it became a mountain of its own rubble. It got flattened and then they rebuilt it. Then it flattened again and they rebuilt it again. To this day, Leshem, Dan, is a mountain of rubble with multiple layers of flattening of the tribe and the city of Dan. So here's the deal. You may think, ah, that's just too difficult. You know, this mission thing, this evangelism thing, this thing that I'm called to do, it's a hard thing to do, to stand up and, you know, make it happen. I, I, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass. Multiple generations after Dan live with the struggle of Dan's inability to take their cities. In fact, every single time Israel went to war, guess who they went to war against? All those towns. They all gathered at the bottom of the valley of Zorag. They all came up and they waged war against Israel over and over and over and over again. And multiple generations, even to this day, struggle with this problem of Dan's inability to take responsibility for what God had given them. 
So here's the deal, Glenridge Church. We do not want to be those people. We want to take responsibility for what God has given us. Well, then the question that begs asking, what has God given you then? If we need to take responsibility for it. Well, I was living up in Hillcrest, built our first house, Con and I, after we got married, in a little street called West Riding Road. And it was a little panhandle, and our neighbor was building at the same time. And I got the obligatory Jehovah's Witness visit. You know, they did the street, so they came in my driveway, came down my driveway, buzzed my buzzer, they want to talk to me. So if you want to get rid of Jehovah's Witnesses, by the way, quickly, I didn't want to argue with them, I didn't have time. So I said to them, can I just pray with you? Just give me your hands. Let me pray with you. Oh, sheesh, you want to see Jehovah's Witnesses run? There they go. I don't want you to pray with them. Anyway, so, so I said, before I sent them on their way, I said, listen, guys, this is my street. It's not yours. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I lead a local church. This street is mine. I want you to leave it alone for me. I said it to them. You know, weirdly enough, they left. Never walked our street again. Never did. Never passed anybody else's buzzer. I, I, I was down preaching in, in City Hill on Kamas, down on the south coast here at the bluff. It's busy worshiping the Lord, and, and there in the crowd is my neighbor. My neighbor from West Friday. He's, he's since got divorced, and his wife is. They both came to know the Lord. Their family got to know the Lord. His new family got to know the Lord. His old family is still worshiping the Lord in a church up in Queensborough, he tells me. And there he is, my neighbor, standing worshiping Jesus in the church. And I'm thinking, that's exactly what God has given me. What's he given you? What street? What neighbors? What people are yours? So, no, they, 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 you know, these people are, I, we have high fences for a reason. Makes good neighbors. I think we need to take responsibility for what God has given us. Otherwise, multiple generations after you may live with the inability of yours commitment to preach the gospel to them. Some time ago, I was talking about this, and, and an old lady was, came up to the front of the church with a walker. She's kind of hmm, doing her thing. And as she, was, as she came to me, I realized she's crying. So tears are rolling down her face. And she's saying, Peter, it's, it's too late for me. I've lost my opportunity. Uh, my, my, my kids, my grandkids are all in Perth in Australia. I've lost connection with them. I've lost the ability to influence them and speak to them. She cried. And I said, look, I, I don't know. I don't think you've ever lost the opportunity. I said, maybe what you need to do is, is put down on paper how you met Jesus Christ. Just, just tell your story. How much the love of Christ has transformed you. Talk about it in an email and send it to your grandchildren. Send it to them. Anyway, she, I wasn't sure whether she was going to do it or not. Well, she did. And some, some six weeks to two months later, there she comes again. And there's a lot of excitement in the walker. She comes down, beaming, smiling. She says, Peter, Peter, you don't know what happened. She says, I sent this letter to my daughter and asked her to read it to, to my grandchildren. My story about how I encountered Jesus Christ. And she says, today, my grandchildren are part of a local youth group and both committed their lives to Jesus Christ. My daughter and my son-in-law are considering saying, well, now our kids have committed. We may as well just go and you know, see what the church is like. It's just they're on a journey towards, towards finding the love of Christ. God has given you a sphere as a church and as individuals sitting in this room. The problem with the sphere that we have, our family, the people around us, aunts and uncles, people that are connected to us, the people that are, you know, with you connected on Facebook and Instagram and they love following your story. All those people that are in your group. Guess what? They belong to you. They're yours. 
That's all. No, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm not an evangelist. It's not my thing. No, but you are an incarnation of Jesus Christ. You carry within yourself the DNA of heaven. And this message is meant to pulse out through your sphere, the connection of people. This is the thing. And I I wasn't going to talk about church planting, but I can't help myself. Churches around the city have been planted all over the place. More than 50 in the last eight years based on this idea alone. That anyone can gather their sphere and preach the gospel to them. And out of that, we can plant a local church. And the last 20 to 25 churches we planted around the city have been planted on that idea alone. And they haven't cost one single rand, not one cent. Because we're not looking to start a meeting. We're looking to start a gospel preaching adventure. And every person in this room needs to be on that gospel preaching adventure. You may never lead a local church. But I want to tell you, we populate the community of God's church. We begin to see the kingdom of God and the message of the gospel pulsing out. Pulsing out through this community. That just now, you won't have space then. You're not going to leave this building because someone's going to take it away from you. You're going to leave it because you have no space here. There's no space here. There's more space. People are coming. The city is coming. Because God's people sitting in this room are saying, we have a sphere. I have a responsibility. My aunts and uncles and grands and grandpas and people in my sphere and the connections and the people at my work and the people, these are my people. They see my life. And my job is not to point them at the church or say, Stan, he'll preach you the gospel. No, my job is to point them at my life. He says, I take responsibility for this message. Jesus Christ has transformed me. It's time to put a smile on your face. And put legalism away. It is. Because too many Christians are too grumpy. Just too unhappy. It's, a, it's, an, it's an unhappy world. I was just sharing with someone as I draw this to an end. Sharing with someone that you got this story out of Habakkuk. You know Habakkuk? This strange little prophet. I'm reading it at the moment. So that's why it's close to my mind. And, and, and you've got this Habakkuk prophet. And he has got so many complaints. He, he names them. Complaint number one. Oh, there it comes. Complaint number two. There it comes. Complaint number three. Complaints. Now, I, sometimes I feel like every person I engage with, I've got so many complaints. And then in the middle, in chapter three, the Lord says, I'm going to give you a song. I'm going to give you a song. It's just a shigionoth. <laughs> A song. Now, the translators didn't know how to translate that word, so they just left it in there in your Bibles. Didn't know really what it was. It was kind of like a song or a poem or something. They didn't really know, so they just left Shigonoth in your, in your Bibles. God wants to give us a Shigonoth, a song. He wants our song to come up again. He wants a song to be on Well, I'm not a singer, Pete, then whistle. Hum, do something. There's a song for you. I remember when, when God began to break us into the city, I had a song. The Lord is my light and my salvation. I started too high. Who shall I fear? Who shall I fear? Right? The Lord is my light, my salvation. Remember that old song? Who shall I fear? Who shall I fear? Because I found it intimidating to have to preach on screens and stuff. It, didn't, it bothered me. So you don't have to fear anything. I'm your strength. I'm your song. God wants to put a song in the heart of this church. A song for this city. A song for the nations. A shigionoth. A song that will speak of the kingdom of God having come. Would you take responsibility for what God has given you? And let's see this place absolutely overwhelmed with the lame, the broken, the burnt, the abused, the messed up, the struggling, the battling, the whole, the, the wealthy, the strong, the white, the black, the rich, the poor, the young and the old. Because we are on a mission from heaven with the gospel in our mouths and our hearts.
The DNA of heaven is ours. So, Father, is there any way? Can I ask everyone to stand? Stand, is that okay? Would you mind standing up? I feel like for Glenridge Church, this is a commissioning moment for you. I've been so excited, actually, encouraged by the Lord in coming here. I don't know you. I know a few of you. I know a few of the people in this church, and I love them. I love this couple. They're a wonderful couple. You are incredibly blessed to have them as your leaders. You really are. But there's an excitement in me because it's like the Lord is saying, come, come. Come, come now. Gather in. Come. Giving you a strategy, a message. Come on now. Put your ear in. Because I'm sending you. I'm releasing you. I'm taking you to your sphere. I'm giving you a song that you did not have before. I'm putting a smile on your face and light and shiny eyes on you. And I'm getting rid of your complaint. Vaccine or no vaccine, who cares? I'm I'm not against it. I've had it. But let's get on with other things. Much more important. The kingdom of God speaking out into the world. Come on. Come on, Glenridge. Father, as we stand here right now in front of you as a church, we say, come, Holy Spirit. Come. Everyone is invited to the table. Let us not be surprised when everyone arrives. Maybe the everyone is not the ones we thought, but it's everyone because you gave yourself for everyone. We open up our hearts to the table of the Lord. It says, come to the table. Come to the table and eat and drink of me, Jesus says. And we become the bread. We become the wine. We become a representation of Jesus Christ to everyone, to our sphere, to the people around us. We we say, come eat of me. Come drink of me. Come to the table. Because I want to tell you that there is life in Jesus Christ. I don't want to be intimidated by the mission anymore. I don't want to be intimidated by words like evangelism and, 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 and struggling. No, I want, to, I want to see it as a gospel preaching adventure. I am on an adventure. This church is on an adventure. The gun has gone off. It's time for us to take up this charge from heaven and live in an enlarged, multiplied future. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. One more call. If you're standing in this room, in this space, and you have never publicly committed your life to Jesus Christ, never, never said yes to Jesus in front of other people. So, so I've been to church geez, most of my life, Peter. I've come to church here many times. I, I, I know. There's no more secret agents here. It's time to say, Jesus, I'm in. I'm making a public confession of faith in Jesus Christ. I've never publicly committed my life to Jesus. And if you haven't done that, while every eye is open and everyone is looking around and everyone is looking at you, I want you to walk here to the front of this meeting. And commit your life to Jesus Christ. No more secret agent stuff. I want your name to be called out in heaven. Because books are open and names are written in and it's your name. It's time to not hide. And if you have never made a public confession of faith in Jesus, step out of the seat that you're in right now and walk down to the front of this meeting. Let God give you grace to do that right now. Come. Come. I'm not getting nervous. Don't worry. Just come. Come. In Jesus' name, come. 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 You can face me. It's okay. You can face me. Yeah, it's okay. Come. Come face me. Welcome. Welcome. It's wonderful. Welcome. Eh? Welcome. Hurry. Come stand here. That's okay. Don't worry. Anybody else? 
Anybody else? You want to walk? It's a young man standing in this room. And you say, I'm on, I feel like your life is tipping on an edge. You're standing in this room. God's calling you now. There's a, there's a massive call upon your life. But this is the moment. It all hinges here for you. I know, God, there's second chances. Absolutely there is. But I feel this is an important, there's a young man standing here who needs to commit his life to serving Jesus Christ. God is going to use you. There's a young man here. I've got a picture of you. Would you come now? Would you come now? I'd really rather you come now than after the meeting creep up on the side and says, I was the guy. I think it'll help you to come now rather than come after the meeting. Young men, come now. Stretch out your hands. Father, we thank you so much. Some leaders, some people can come and stand with them for a second. Just hang with them. Thank you so much that today, public confessions of faith in Jesus, there's something God is breaking out through your life today. This was important for heaven. This is important for the call of God upon your life. This is important because God is calling you by name. He says, you are mine. You belong to me. And a public confession of faith takes you out of the shadows, out of the darkness, into the light, into the light, to walk with Jesus. Freedom, freedom from your past, freedom from your brokenness, because it's cleansed and washed at the cross. And you walk out in newness of life, almost as if you come out of death into life. That's how the Bible describes it. That's you right now. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Stan. Thank you, Jesus.